Well, good morning. Uh, appreciate you joining me on this uh, rainy Wednesday morning. I uh, had a bunch of rain yesterday, and um, as I'm sitting here, I uh, hear outside the window that it's raining some more today. So I guess we need need a little bit of rain to help the grass grow and keep everything going, although we've had our share this year. But it's, uh, it's good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Um, with me doing this Bible study. Uh, we are getting into the uh, last little bit of this study. This is the second to last of our studies uh, in this series of reading our Bibles with our heart and mind is what I'm basing it off of uh, Tremper Longman's book, although I've pulled in a number of other resources as well uh, that I've uh, looked at over the years and, and studied. So I'm Excited about uh, what we're going to look at today. We are in the New Testament. We started, we got into the Gospels last week, and this week we're going to do the Epistles, and then next week we will conclude what we do with the uh, apocalyptic literature, and we'll actually hit an Old Testament and a New Testament book. We'll look at uh, Revelation and Daniel, and of course there's other apocalyptic literature uh, throughout as well. But let's start our time uh, together this morning uh, with a word of prayer. Father, I come before you right now, and I do want to thank you uh, for this day, uh, the opportunity we have to live in this day, uh, the opportunity we have to know you better and to serve you more, uh, and to grow in our relationship with you. And I pray that you'll bless this time we have together uh, in Bible study, that as we look at uh, the Bible that you've given to us, that we will understand better how to read it, uh, how to apply it, and then how to share it uh, with others around us. I thank you so much for the gift that you've given to us of yourself and how you have revealed yourself through your word uh, in such a variety of ways. Uh, and as we look at these letters this morning, I pray, Father, that you will help us to uh, gain uh, insight and wisdom uh, so that we might know you better this day. It's in Christ's most holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at uh, epistles today, and uh, epistles is just a, a little bit more formal name for letters, so I'll probably kind of jump back and forth uh, between uh, calling them epistles and calling them letters. Uh, there is a little bit of a distinction, as, as there normally is when you start talking about things, but most of us know what letters are. Uh, I, we all probably enjoy getting letters. We go to the mailbox, and whenever we see something uh, that is addressed to us from somebody uh, personal, uh, we don't necessarily like the bills that we get in the mail that we still get quite often, uh, but we do enjoy those personal letters that we get from people that uh, are either congratulations or thank yous or are um, letters of encouragement. Uh, I always appreciate those uh, that I receive from people, and then especially those special occasions that we have, birthdays birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas and even Easter and other holidays that we celebrate. Uh, letters are an important part of who we are and what we do. Uh, and even in this day of electronics, uh, electronic mail, emails, uh, it's still so important and it, and it feels so good to get that handwritten note from somebody uh, that uh, either uh, they've mailed to us or even hand-delivered to us sometimes uh, those notes that we get. So letters are an important part of, of our lives and letters are an important part of our New Testament. Uh, in fact, they make up uh, the majority of the New Testament. So as I said before, though, we're going to be looking at that this is the, these are the epistles. This is all the way from Romans all the way through Jude, uh, that uh, uh, section of the, the New Testament. But what is in an epistle? And I went to uh, uh, Leland Reich and uh, gives a good definition of this. I'm not going to read the entire definition, but I'll give you the points that he has about what makes an epistle a little bit different than just a, a, a regular letter, even though there's many similarities. First of all, an epistle is more formal in its vocabulary and style. So it's a, a more formal letter. 
in, in how it's written than in an, or, uh, an ordinary letter. Now, we're going to talk about in just a few moments. These letters that we have in the New Testament are very personal, uh, but they are in, written in more of a formal manner. Uh, also, uh, an epistle impl- uh, implies that it is going to be public rather than purely personal. Uh, even these letters that we have from Paul to Timothy and to Titus, they were written to individuals, so they were on a very much more personal level with them. Uh, they were still uh, meant to be read by others and, and, and used by others, just like we use them uh, today. So uh, those are two things. Uh, also, uh, they're assumed to be more literary. Um, in, in other words, they, the writers, Paul or James or Peter, John, those that were writing these letters, uh, were writing them to be read in such a manner that um, uh, would be read by, by, by the public, by, by the churches and whoever else they may be sending them to. Uh, and then they're uh, being written in a way that's going to be a little bit more stylish stylistically, uh, not as uh, conversational in, in what they're writing. And then finally, uh, these epistles all have a, a teaching element to them. They, they were written to, again, either churches or individuals, and the intent was to teach them something so that they could grow in, in their faith and their understanding. So as we look at these this morning, kind of keep those thoughts in mind about the, the difference, even though I may go back and forth between letter uh, and epistle uh, in, in what I'm saying, just know that there is those slight variations between the two. Uh, As we look at the New Testament, uh, again, we've got 27 New Testament books. We've got four Gospels. We've got the the book of Acts, which can be tied in together with the the Gospels. That's what we did last week. Uh, And then we've got uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, That makes up six of the books uh, in the New Testament. The other 21 are epistles. the vast majority of those uh, were written by Paul. Uh, Paul wrote 13 of the 21 epistles that we have in the New Testament, so he was the most prolific of each uh, of those writers. Just a quick, real quick breakdown. You can look at this in your own Bible, so I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but uh, Paul wrote... Um, Letters to the churches, uh, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, all those were written to uh, churches in particular. Uh, And three of those were what we call prison epistles. Uh, They were written while Paul was uh, in prison uh, back to these churches, and we glean that information from uh, those writings. He also wrote uh, three letters to individuals. I'm sorry, four letters to individuals, uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy, uh, Titus, and Philemon. Philemon was also uh, one of the prison epistles. So there's four uh, prison epistles that we have, uh, with um, one of those being a personal letter back to to Philemon himself. And so that's kind of the breakdown of uh, Paul's writings. Then we have eight other uh, epistles that were written. We've got Hebrews, and that uh, is anonymous. We really don't know who wrote it. There's been some speculation, some think Paul may have written it, some people think Timothy may have written it, uh, but quite honestly, we're just not 100% sure who did write it. Um, it, It's not recorded. It's kind of an outlier a little bit in the sense that it doesn't have any kind of identifying marks of this is who it's from. We'll talk about kind of structures of epistles here in just a minute, Um, but Hebrews is is anonymous, but there's a lot of similarities with what what Paul wrote, and even we can see uh, some of Timothy maybe uh, possibly could have written it as well. Then we've got uh, the the epistle of James. Uh, James identifies himself as a servant 
of Jesus, but we also understand that uh, and believe that he was probably uh, a brother, one of the brothers of Jesus. It could not be James the Apostle. Uh, we're told in Acts chapter 12 that James the Apostle died very early on. Uh, he was martyred uh, for, for the faith. Uh, James and John being brothers, James was the first martyr. Uh, first of the apostles to uh, to die for his faith. John lived the longest. He may not have been physically killed, but he did uh, suffer martyrdom in the sense of persecution and exile and those kinds of things. So uh, this James was in all likelihood, well, it was not Jesus's, um, I'm sorry, James, John's brother, um, but most likely Jesus's brother. Uh, then we have first and second Peter uh, written by the apostle Peter. Then we have first, second, and third John written by John the Apostle. And then the last and uh, basically the shortest one, Philemon and Judah are both very short uh, in, in their letter, uh, in their length. Uh, Jude uh, identifies himself as a brother of James, uh, also a servant of Jesus. So therefore, um, we believe that Jude was also one of the brothers of Jesus. We know from the gospel stories that Jesus had brothers and sisters. So uh, there was a full family around there. So those are the uh, the letters, the epistles, uh, who they're written. Again, Paul writing the vast majority uh, of those uh, epistles. As we look at this today, just, just like in all letter writing that we do, uh, there is some common structure that we can see in most of the letters, uh, but all the letters don't follow these uh, exactly. Uh, and so you're not going to find every single one of these elements in every single one of these letters, but there's a general way of writing, just like we have uh, in, in our letter writing. I still remember in, in school when I was in um, junior high, uh, high school, I think it was probably junior high, where I was taught how to write a letter. You know, you, you, uh, the way we start our letters is we address who it's going to, dear so-and-so, whoever we're writing to, depending on the uh, personal level or more formal level, how we write that uh, to that person. Uh, or or that group. Uh, then you have the body of the letter, uh, what the letter's all about, and then you can con conclude it uh, with your um, saying this is who it's from, the, the salutation from whoever. Again, depending on the uh, formality level, how personal or impersonal it may be, you may say love. If it's to somebody uh, close to you, you may say sincerely to somebody else. That's our basic structure. Uh, the basic structure of the epistles that we have in the New Testament is this, uh, a little bit different. Uh, there, there's a salutation, and in that salutation, you have the identification of the author in, in most of these. Again, Hebrews does not have any kind of identification at all. First uh, John, uh, there's, it's not a formal, this is John writing this and who I am in, in that letter. Um, so some of it has to be implied, some of it has to be uh, drawn out through, through what you read. But most of the time there's going to be identification of the author. This is Paul writing or this is John writing. Uh, John refers to himself as the elder. Uh, you, this is from James, whoever it may be. Then you have... Uh, following that, you have a greeting to the recipients. You have, this is who I'm writing to, uh, and you can find those in, in most of the epistles uh, you know, to the church at Colossae, to the servants at Colossae, and, and a lot of these would be fleshed out with a, a little bit more verbiage there uh, when, um, depending on who they were talking to. And then often there's a word of gratitude. Uh, most of Paul's letters have that word of, I am thankful for this that I see in you. Uh, Galatians, again, is one of those 
those that's a little bit distinct from that. Galatians doesn't have a, I'm grateful for, for what uh, what's happening here in your church. Uh, and so um, Paul just kind of hits right into some of the points he's going to deal with. So that's all part of the salutation, identifying who the author is, identifying who the recipients are. Uh, included in that is a word of gratitude. And in that word of gratitude is also a word of encouragement too, uh, to stay strong, to stay faithful uh, in what you're doing. Uh, Paul is trying to encourage these churches or these individuals, and not just Paul, but James or whoever is writing, uh, is writing to encourage uh, those people to stay faithful and strong, usually in some kind of a time of, of crisis or difficulty, either in the church itself uh, or uh, maybe something that's happening in the um, the writer's life as well that, that they're trying to share there. So that's a salutation. And then you get into the, uh, the body of the letter. And this is where you have usually some doctrinal and or uh, a teaching section here, uh, sometimes both. And again, it, it's not exact, but uh, oftentimes you will have... Um, uh, almost half and half uh, in, in in the book of, of what uh, the body of the letter concludes, because it includes a doctrinal section and then usually an application section. Again, not 100% in all the letters, um, but mostly across the board there. In the doctrinal or teaching uh, section, what you have is uh, addressing uh, questions or problems that uh, the author sees in the church or that he sees in the world around them that the church is going to have to deal with. Oftentimes, in that doctrinal section, he's dealing with who is God, answering that question, who is God, and, and seeing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, in, in these times, uh, addressing this is the, the God that we're following, this is the God that we're uh, obeying, this is uh, who He is, and this is why He's worthy of our time and attention. And then in that teaching section, that doctrinal section, He also oftentimes will include uh, what does God require? Uh, this is who God is. And so, therefore, uh, this is what God's expectations are for those that are committed to Him, those that are following Him. Following that doctrinal section, uh, there is a section of application. Uh, this is where the author uh, takes what he has talked about who God is, and oftentimes in that letter, uh, you can see from how he's describing God uh, what God is therefore going to call us to to do in our living, uh, how we you know live in a proper relationship with God. Uh, just for an example, in the book of Ephesians, uh, there are six chapters, at least what we have in, you know, how we've divided up is into six chapters. Uh, the first three chapters, uh, after Paul's, uh, the salutation and the greetings and all that, uh, by the time you get to end of chapter three, uh, you, you have the doctrinal teaching up to that point, and then in chapter four, he makes a, uh, a divide there and, and moves forward. In fact, um, let me just turn here real quickly, and you can kind of see a, the, the transition he makes uh, in Ephesians, between Ephesians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and again, it's not an exact, uh, Ephesians just kind of breaks nicely into that. Uh, in Romans, uh, the uh, doctrinal section is all the way up to chapter, uh, basically chapter 11 through chapter 11, and then chapter 12 is when the application um, begins. But Paul says... Um, 
well, he, he ends with a, uh, a prayer for strength and a doxology, and he ends chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, and verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So he concludes that prayer there. Then he starts in verse chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthily of the calling which you have been called. Now, the first three chapters he's been dealing with, this is why God is worthy. This is this is who you're following. This is why you should follow him and what he's doing. So he says basically there in chapter 4, all right, and forward, he says this is what this looks like. This is how you as a church, in this particular case in Ephesus, this is how you uh, can uh, follow and, and be faithful uh, in, in what you're supposed to do. So that's the body of the letter, basically broken down into a doctrinal teaching section and then uh, an application section. And then the closing uh Again, varies in length, uh, but usually there's a final word of affirmation, something to encourage the church or the individual uh, in remaining strong and remaining true uh, to their Heavenly Father, uh, and then oftentimes some kind of a, a doxology, uh, a praise to God and who He is. Uh, in several of Paul's letters, uh, Paul will then affirm that he is the one that is uh, writing this letter uh, or, or having this letter being written. He sometimes would use a secretary and a many UNCs to do the writing for him, uh, and sometimes he'll say, you know, this is my handwriting. You recognize it to authenticate that this is truly for him, from him, uh, because as we read through the New Testament, we do know that there were false teachings out there. There were people that were trying to disrupt the Christian faith, the Christian community. Some were uh, writing letters um, falsely on behalf of Paul, and so Paul was verifying that this is truly from me, and you can truly believe what you have here. So that's the basic structure uh, of the epistles. And again, these Bible studies are all fairly short, so I don't have time to go into a lot of detail and a lot of um, examples in, in each one of these, but I want to at least give you a flavor for what you're looking at and what you're reading. And I'll say, as I've said each week, if you have questions beyond this Bible study, feel free to uh, text me. You can live chat me right now. Uh, I'll try to answer the question there, or we can get back to it later. Or if you, if you want, call me, and we can talk about uh, some of these questions some of these things that uh, you, you may be wondering about in a little bit deeper level here. Again, that's one of the things I miss about the in-person. I love being able to do these videos, but miss the in-person interaction that we can have with each other. But that's the basic structure, uh, a greeting uh, with uh, who it's from, who it's to, a word of uh, encouragement and thanksgiving uh, for those people, the body of the letter, the teaching doctrinal section, the application section of the letter, and then final words of affirmation, um, saying this is who, um, truly, this is who I am. This is um, my appreciation, encouragement for you. So let me give you some, uh, how do we read the epistles then? most effectively. Uh, some of this comes from Tremper Longman's book. Some of it uh, is from other studies that I've had here. But uh, let me give you this word of encouragement, um, and uh, I'm going to read you a, a proverb first, uh, Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5, because I think it helps us to, uh, to think about how to read the epistles. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4, it says, "'Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself.'" 
Verse 5 then says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So one parable says, don't answer a fool. The other one says, do answer a fool. Uh, and I thought about that parable because when I was thinking about how do you read uh, the epistles, well, read the epistles like you would read a letter from someone today. But also, don't read an epistle like you would read a letter from someone today. Uh, you got to be discerning. That's what that parable, uh, the Proverbs is saying there. It's just you got to be uh, discerning of what you're, who you're talking to and uh, how you're going to respond to that person, that fool. Are you going to answer him according to his folly? If he's going to do some good, then answer him. If it doesn't, then don't answer him. Well, it's a similar type uh, thing here in, in reading epistles. You do want to read it like you would read a letter from a friend uh, or from, uh, from a pastor or from somebody trying to give you some uh, instruction, encouragement. But then you also have to be very careful uh, not to read too much into that uh, as well. So let me give you some things about uh, the epistles and, and how we can get the most out of uh, these readings. First of all, remember that letters, the epistles uh, are one-sided. We're only getting one side of the confirmation. Uh, sometimes we're, we're missing some of the context. Uh, why is this being written? Uh, wh why did Paul or why did James feel like a need to, uh, to, to write that, that word of uh, exhortation or that word of encouragement? That's one question I ask myself oftentimes uh, when I'm reading any of the Bible, but especially when I'm reading those letters. Why did, why did he have to write that? Why did he have to say that? And why did he have to say it in that way? Uh, in the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 10, we have a passage of Scripture that uh, exhorts the church to not give up meeting together, he says, as some are in the habit of doing. Well, it pretty much answers why he had to write it, because even 2,000 years ago, when the writer of Hebrews was sending that letter off, there were some people that were falling away from the church. There were some people that were once active and involved, and they have fallen out for whatever reason. They're not actively involved, so the writer of Hebrews had to say, listen, don't don't give up meeting together. You've got to keep uh, in fellowship with each other. Uh, that's so vitally important. So ask, you sometimes you have to ask yourself, and you can help understand, why did he write that? Why did he feel a need to write uh, what he wrote there? Why was he inspired to write that? Sometimes we're also missing the response of the readers. Uh, how did they respond? Did they respond positively? Did they respond negatively? First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians is one of those that's somewhat helpful uh, in what we can discern uh, from uh, these letters. In First Corinthians, Paul writes in chapter five. He says, "You know, disassociate yourself from that immoral person in your church. Uh, don't put up with uh, the kind of lifestyle he's doing, but disassociate uh, with, with him so that he can be won back to the Lord." And we have some indications from 2 Corinthians, that it seems like he may have responded. Uh, it seems like he may have turned from his ways and actually uh, started trusting um, in Christ as he ought to. We're not 100% sure, but we think that may have been the case. Uh, so sometimes, you know, but we're, we're lacking that a lot of times. We don't know how they responded uh, to what was said, but it's always one-sided. Again, I, I referenced 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is actually, we get a little bit fuller context of, of things that are happening, what Paul is doing here. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, uh, also in chapter 5, verse 1, we're told, uh, Paul says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. So he says, listen, I've been told by somebody from your church about what's happening, what's going on uh, in your church. And so that's helpful to know that 
Paul is responding to this report that has been given to him. Uh, and then also in chapter 7, verse 1, uh, the following uh, few chapters, Paul says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and then he goes on to list uh, some of the issues that the church was writing to Paul about, saying, what do we do about this? How do we properly relate to each other uh, in marital relationships? And what do we do about uh, other relationships that we have as we live in this world? And so Paul's actually giving us some context there that these are actual questions that were coming from the church that he was answering. But then we have on the other end, uh, Colossians. Uh, Colossians gives us a lot less context. We know there's some kind of problem in the church. Uh, we know that uh, the church is dealing with uh, heresies in the church, but we, we're not given names. We're not given people. We're not giving places in what's going on here. Uh, basically, what we have in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, we are told, uh, Paul just says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And then he goes on to talk about how you're supposed to respond to that and what you're supposed to do. But we're not given a name of who these people are. Uh, are these Jews infiltrating the church, uh, causing this concern? Is it pagans that are coming in and, and influencing? Is it uh, past influences from the church of, of their pagan lifestyle? Maybe that's making a difference, or is it just the world interfering? We don't really know. Uh, we, we know some of the problems and issues they're facing, but we don't have people, places, names. Uh, so sometimes we don't have that context, uh, and we don't have all the uh, that we might like to have to be able to nail things down. Uh, people try to speculate, and that's helpful, but we just really don't know. So uh, understand that uh, sometimes because letters are one-sided, that we're missing some things that maybe we would like to have that we just simply don't have. Remember also that uh, that letters are personal as well. And this is one of the great things about uh, about these letters. Get a feel for the heart of the writer. Get to know who they are. And that, that helps us to do that. Just some examples here. Uh, look at what the author says about uh, himself, especially toward the beginning of the letter. Uh, Paul calls himself uh, an apostle by the grace of God. Now, he expands that in many different ways in, in his writings. Um, but basically, he's saying, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm, he says in Corinthians, I'm one abnormally born. I wasn't one of the original 12, but Christ did call me. And so I can call myself an apostle. And I'm only here because of the grace of God. So you hear some of that humility uh, and some of the way God worked in his life and brought him to the place where he was able to be used by God in a very mighty way. James calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here you have the brother of James saying that I am now serving uh, my older brother uh, because he is my Lord and Savior. Uh, John refers him to himself in 2nd and 3rd John as the elder. Uh, he doesn't ever specifically name himself as John, but we uh, can pull from the letters and, and from what we know about John and, and other things that this was John writing these letters. Uh, so, But he calls himself the elder um, when, when he writes. Jude uh, describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. And so we connect James to the writer of James and therefore to Jesus himself. And so we, we see some of this personal element uh in, in these letters, even in the introductions. Uh, but then I pulled out a couple other specifics from Paul's writings uh, about the, the personal nature. We, we feel the heart 
of the individual writing this. And just, just like the Psalms, I love the Psalms because the Psalms are very uh, personal. They're very intimate. Uh, the Psalmist many times is just crying out to God. I don't understand, you know, God, how long is this going to go on? God, where are you? Uh, and then God, I praise you because you brought me through this. And so we see so much of the, the desperation. Sometimes we see the joy. We see that uh, person, that personal uh, relationship that, that they have with God. We see this also in the epistles. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, Paul hadn't made it to Rome yet. He wanted to get there. Uh, and so in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That word that Paul says, I've, I've been all over these places and haven't yet been able to get to, to see you, but I'm longing to see you. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day that I get to Rome and get to see you now. He would get there, not the way he thought, uh, but he would eventually get to Rome. Uh, and then in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, Paul says this uh, as he makes a slight transition from chapter 8 uh, to uh, God's um, work and, and, and what he's doing to his personal plea and cry to his own Jewish people. He, say, he says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 9, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Uh, you see that as Paul writes this letter to the church in, in Rome, he is crying out with his passion for his Jewish brethren that we're not yet accepting Jesus Christ. And he's saying, I, I would wish myself to be accursed, not that that's possible, but I wish my, you know, if, if only they could come to know Jesus Christ. And that's part of that appeal of this letter to the Romans. So even though Romans is very heavy in doctrine and one of the great books to go to to learn about salvation, it's one of Paul's fuller ex, uh, expansion of other things that he's written uh, as far as who God is and how God operates and uh, what we need to do to be saved. You see here not just a teaching, it's not just an academic setting that Paul is dealing with here. He's saying, I want to come and see you. I'm longing for the day I can be there with you. And he's saying, I'm willing to give myself up if only my brothers would know the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, as I know him. Uh, and so there's that very personal uh, element there. And then Romans chapter 16, uh, the, uh, about half the chapter is just his personal greetings uh, to, to others. So you see that personal element in First Corinthians, I mean, sorry, First Timothy, you also see some of this personal element, uh, the way he describes his relationship with Timothy. He says to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. So that personal relationship he had with Timothy, you're my son. Uh, and then also to Titus, he says to Titus, my true child, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and of Christ Jesus our Lord. Didn't seem like he had quite as close of a relationship with Titus as he did to Timothy, but he did have a very close relationship with both of these um, mentors that uh, he took under his wing to lead and guide. So that personal element, don't don't miss that and, and look for that. Uh, Trump and Longman gives a couple other questions uh, to ask and to look at. As we read the epistles, uh, and, and this is, we're going to kind of wind this up here in just a second, but uh, ask yourself, how did the letter writer challenge the issues of his day? Uh, what was he dealing with when he was dealing with uh, quarrels and fights in the church? You see that uh, in 
1 Corinthians. You also see it toward the latter part of Philippians, Philippians being one of his most upbeat and positive letters, and yet he says there's an issue between Yodia and Syntyche in, in the church, and you need to resolve that, and this is how you need to do that. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about all those divisions that were in the church. You know, I follow Paulus, I follow Christ, you know, I follow Paul, you know, all these different uh, factions in the church, and so he's dealing with uh, those things. So what, how did the letter, how did the author address those issues uh, in, in the church? In John's letters, John chapter 1, uh, especially, you have people not dealing with their sin. Uh, they're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not real sinful, and so uh, you make God out to be a liar, you're lying to yourself, but if you'll ask for forgiveness, uh, Christ is, is faithful and he'll forgive you of those sins, and he will even advocate on your behalf, uh, getting into chapter 2 there. So how did the letter writer address the issues of, of his day? Ask yourself that question. And then also, what does this letter teach me about God and how I can relate to him? Uh, this is the same God that Paul wrote to and Peter wrote to and James wrote to and John wrote to. Uh, God has not changed. Um, God is the same God. So how does this teach me about how I need to relate to God and, and God's people and God's community uh, and our world today? So basically, I'm going to wrap this up here this morning. Uh, but last word of encouragement in reading the epistles, and this is really across the board in all of all of Scripture, and I've said this in each one of these lessons, make sure you read the epistles in their context. Uh, seek first to understand the original readers, the circumstances they faced, the circumstances of the writer, uh, where they were, what was going on, before making personal applications. I know sometimes we want to jump right into Scripture and find something for me today, something I can apply to my life today, and Scripture does apply to us, and we can find those principles, we can find those truths, we can find those commands that do apply directly to us today. But uh, if we're missing the context and not taking the time to really understand what was said and why it was said, sometimes we can get to some unstable truth. Uh, without the right content, without the right context, we sometimes end up in the wrong place as far as what we believe and understand from that. But if you will take the time to look at the content, if you'll take time to look at the context of what was written, you're going to be on more stable ground with the truth and the principles that you pull out from there. And so, context is key uh, in, in everything we do when we read Scripture, and that's the point of some of these, these lessons, is trying to help you to see what you're reading, understand what you're reading, uh, so that you will read it properly. You don't read a letter the same way you read a textbook, uh, the same way you read history. Last week we looked at uh, the, the Gospels, and they are uh, a specific kind of history writing, but you don't read the Gospels the same way you re read the epistles. They're, they're written to in a different manner, a different form. All of God's truth, everything is valuable and essential for living, uh, knowing God, serving God, following God, being faithful to God, um, but you read it differently so that you can understand it better. Again, hopefully this has uh, at least whetted your appetite uh, and encouraged you that when you pick up God's Word, you will read these epistles with some of those thoughts in mind. Even if you're jumping into the middle of an epistle, hopefully you'll take the time to say, okay, well, what section of this? What, is this the teaching section or is this the application section? Uh, and what did it say? And then how, therefore, then what does it say to me today? Uh, when we know the Bible, 
we can live the Bible, and then we can more effectively share uh, the truth of the Bible uh, to our world today. Thank you for joining me. Next week, we're going to wrap this uh, series up with looking at uh, apocalyptic literature, uh, Wednesday at 10 o'clock, next Wednesday. So hopefully you'll join me there, and then we'll move forward with uh, our next Bible studies and series after that, especially as we move through this uh, COVID-19 and as we start to regather together as a church. I'm looking forward to what that's going to bring for us. Again, thank you for joining me. Let's end with a word of prayer. Father, I come before you right now, and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the way that it speaks into our lives. And Lord, you gave us these letters that uh, you inspired Paul and James and John and Jude and uh, Peter to write, and you have preserved them for us so that we can learn about you, even as we learn about ourselves. Help us to take the truths from these words and apply them to our lives so that we can be faithful in our relationship with you. And then we will then therefore translate that into being faithful uh, in speaking your truth in the world around us. People need to know your word and your truth. Help us to be faithful. Help us to do the work it takes to know you and to love you. It's in Christ's most holy name that we pray. Amen.